0: It's been called a disease that has no place in God's own. Rheumatic fever, a third world disease that's now rare in most developed countries. About 140 New Zealanders still die every year of the heart damage caused by the disease. But whereas it used to afflict Maori and European alike, these days the young patients, almost without exception, are Maori and Pacific Island children. And new technology is unmasking cases no one knew about until now. Lois Williams has been investigating the problem of rheumatic fever and the efforts to treat and prevent it in
1: Northland.
2: Does anyone else in the family have heart problems, rheumatic fever, heart disease, you, yourself, Dad brothers, sisters, uncles,
0: aunties. I had an uncle that yeah. had it, and he passed away. Forty-two. He had rheumatic fever. Right. He spent a lot of his years in the Nether
2: Hospital,
0: mm. and
3: we were really close to him. Mm. And the consequences of another episode of rheumatic fever could be devastating for this young man. I mean, the really good in a
4: consulting room at Kaitaia Hospital, stop. the mother of an eight-year-old boy has just been given the bad news: her son has heart valve damage caused by rheumatic fever. She never knew he'd even had the illness. No history of sore throats, painful joints or fever. But to a cardiologist, the signs on the echocardiogram are unmistakable. He has a leaky valve that will require careful watching. He'll need 10 years of penicillin shots to prevent further infections and he may need heart surgery as an adult to replace the damaged valve. The good news is his family and his doctor now know this, but the only reason they do is a research project carried out in Kaitaia last July when 700 children were screened for signs of rheumatic heart disease. At Ahui in Kaitaia in December, the community gathered to hear the results of the echocardiogram scans carried out on their sons and daughters. Schools, district nurses, kuia and Komatua were all involved in the process of explaining the screening project to parents or caregivers and gaining their consent. Almost all of them did consent. But though rheumatic heart damage is rife in the Māori community, one kuia told the hui many had never heard of the disease that causes it.
5: We decided a long time ago, as I told you, Māori was going to get involved because we're the amazed. Yep. And those are our mukhopunas we're talking about. So we go on to the school and took with the tamaliki. You know, some of those tamaliki knew more about it than we did. <laughs> then the parents are talking to me. Paya, were you at school when they did this and did that? Yes, I was. What's the single magic fever? So I'm there with my pamphlet. I didn't put the crook reading from the pamphlet and telling them about it.
4: The Hui heard that the mass echo scanning in July by researchers from Auckland Starship Hospital had found seven Kaitaia children with heart damage from rheumatic fever. None had previously been diagnosed.
3: Those kids will go on almost certainly to develop significant Valve dysfunction as they get older and that's going to compromise their heart function and they're going to need some form of treatment quite likely, valve replacement for example.
4: Dr Roger Tuck is the Northland Health paediatrician who organised the visit by the Starship cardiology team. He says the results of the screening project went no surprise to him. But for the families involved it's inevitably
3: been a shock some families, it's been a huge challenge because it has come out of the blue. I mean, I guess if your child's admitted to a hospital with painful joints, you go through a gradual process of working through a diagnosis and you gently come to the decision that the child's had rheumatic fever and you've got a chance to lead the parents into this. But these were parents who signed a consent form for a screening programme at school. I mean, you know, the, the, the information we gave them was good. They knew exactly what we were looking for. But, of course, you know, you sent your school, your well-child, apparently well-child, to school on one day for a screening, and then you get a letter to say, we need to have a talk to you about your child. So it, it's out of left field. It's not the usual way we deliver a diagnosis of rheumatic fever to parents.
4: For Lisa Tau, a community health worker in Kaitaia, the shock was doubled. One of her sons has confirmed rheumatic heart disease. A second son may have. Within three days of diagnosis, both were on the prophylaxis regime, at least ten years of monthly penicillin injections. One thing you don't want as a parent to know
6: that something is actually physically wrong with your kids. It was more than a shock, but it's a very vulnerable time when you find out. Knowing that your child has this condition and you have no control over it, whether or not it was your fault that they've got it, all these sorts of things go through your mind, wondering could I have done anything
0: to have
4: prevented it. Northland's Medical Officer of Health, Jonathan Jarman, says the results of the screening project are alarming. The region already has about 15 cases of rheumatic fever a year, but those are the known cases, the children who present with symptoms. He says 50% of children who contract the disease may have had no symptoms. And the screening revealed heart damage caused by bouts of rheumatic fever that no one had picked up on.
1: We thought we had a bad problem. Well, this shows that it's even worse than we thought. There are undiagnosed cases of rheumatic heart disease out there in our community.
4: In 2002, Helen Herbert's eight-year-old son went to school with a sore throat. He came home that afternoon and collapsed. At the time, she didn't know a sore throat could cause rheumatic fever, and in her son's case, even the GP didn't make the connection.
0: We got him up to the hospital. The doctor said, well, he's got a, um, the flu. And I said, I don't think he's got the flu I think there's something more going on than just the flu and they said no 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 you take him home and I. so I took him home and the next day he was worse so I took him back up to the hospital had no idea what I was on about except I knew there was something definitely wrong with him and I said I want a blood test I want you to do something to find out what's wrong with this kid because I know there's something wrong with him and they said he's just probably got the flu and I said I'm serious I want you to do something I know there's something wrong with him So they took a blood test, sent it off, Um, it went down that day to Whangarei and that evening we got a phone call to say could you get that boy down to Whangarei, he's got rheumatic fever.
4: Dr Roger Tuck says the symptoms of rheumatic fever can be deceptive and they're not widely known. The disease begins with a streptococcus A infection which often, though not always, causes a sore throat and fever. If it's untreated, it can trigger an autoimmune response a couple of weeks later in which the body mistakes its own tissues for the bug itself and attacks them. He says two weeks after the initial infection, the valves of the heart, or even the heart itself, can become inflamed and swollen.
3: The swelling eventually settles down, but one of the long-term complications with valve inflammation is that as the inflammation heals, it leaves a certain amount of scarring. So these valves may recover temporarily, but then they'll scar, they'll contract, they'll get tight, and the individual may present 10 or 20 years down the track in trouble again because the valve has gotten incredibly tight and and the heart's not working very well because the valves have gotten very tight. And we have, in Northam, we maybe have up to 10 people a year who die from those long-term effects of rheumatic fever.
4: Barbara Matthews is one who didn't die. She's recently had valve replacement surgery, but she's suffered all her life from the effects of rheumatic fever as a child, undiagnosed and untreated till she was 16.
6: Well, as a child, um, I was brought up by my grandmother and Taranaki Waitara. Of course, uh, a doctor. I never saw a doctor, so she treated me as best she could, and um, and uh, of course, yeah, it took two. I was off school for two weeks and I was that ill. I couldn't even move. I was around seven, maybe seven, eight, when I I, I was sick once, and that was the only time. So to um, recall that and, and let the doctors that treated me when I was 16 um, know, because um, they picked up a, a murmur in my heart, and they watched me for a few, quite a few years, and then When I had my first child um, in my 30s, um, I had a floppy valve then. Um, I lost that baby because um, it it didn't grow as good because all my veins were restricted by then um, in in here where you feed the placenta, So I didn't carry that baby for long, maybe 20 weeks, I think. And I had another two children when I married, um, and they died as well. so I didn't, I've got no children, um, and it's all due to my heart, yeah.
4: Dr Tuck says a short period of painful joints in a child can also be a sign of rheumatic fever.
3: The most dramatic aspect of rheumatic fever is often the acute arthritis that occurs, and it's what we call a migratory polyarthritis. That means it's a number of joints, and the, the arthritis tends to move around from one joint to the next. Sometimes you'll find a child who's has a knee they cannot move on day one and the next day you'll find that knee is actually fine and now the ankle's affected. So it's an arthritis that moves around. It's exquisitely painful, these children. It's a very, very painful arthritis. Certainly if it's affecting the lower limbs, these children can't wait there, they can't walk.
4: One Kaitai, a mother whose boy was diagnosed with rheumatic fever seven years ago, says she came home to find her healthy, active son seemingly paralysed from the waist down.
6: I said to him, what what were you doing today? And he said, I was playing rugby today. So we all all obviously thought it was a rugby injury. So we took him to the doctors and they sent us to the a and E. I couldn't even get him out of the car because he couldn't walk. So we put him in a wheelchair. They took him for some x-rays. They couldn't find any broken bones or anything. So they took uh, sent us to Middlemore Hospital and it probably took about a good six, seven hours for them to actually diagnose him with his rheumatic fever because they couldn't find out the reason why he was, wasn't was able to sit up or anything. And then what they found out was he had a lot of fluid in his hips and um, the next day they had to do a, um, a surgery on him and to drain out all the fluids around his hips.
4: And there's another rare symptom of rheumatic fever, which is possibly even more distressing for a young child. Paediatrician Roger Tuck.
3: One of the lesser known manifestations of rheumatic fever is a movement disorder, which in the old days they called St Vitus's Dance, correctly called Sydenham's Chorea or Rheumatic Chorea. And this is a sort of random fidgety disorder, and these children um, suddenly start to fidget like mad, and sometimes they do things like sitting on their hands because they can't keep them still. Teachers tell them off, and the mums and dads think they've developed ADHD, and it's often associated with sort of odd grimacing. So these kids can sometimes be referred to us with you know, possible ticks or possible ADHD, all sorts of odd diagnoses, but what they actually have is a manifestation of a streptococcal sore throat medically well.
6: Morning! <laughs> Once every four
4: weeks, 30 Far North children who've had rheumatic fever get a visit from the district nurse. She comes armed with a formidable-looking syringe full of slow-release penicillin a crash pack in case of shock, and chocolates. The jab in the buttock will block strep A infections and save the child from further bouts of rheumatic fever and heart damage. But Nurse Sally Wagner says there's no getting round the fact that the shot hurts.
0: Well, initially, the children are, are, are quite apprehensive because it is quite a large injection. It's two mils of quite thick fluid. And we um, coach them through it, really. Um, we have good techniques. We get them to relax, ice them down so things are a bit cooler. Chocolates are a very good release for endorphins. It's very good pain relief.
4: Mrs Wagner's colleague, Raha Matthews, says it's not unusual for young clients new to the penicillin regime to head for the hills when they see the nurse's car.
7: They'll try and run into the bush when they see our cars turn up at the, um, coming down the drive or whatever, but yeah, they soon come around, they soon come around. Um, we say to them that it doesn't matter where they go in New Zealand or even overseas, we will hunt them down, <laughs> and we'll just do the referral to whatever services, um, whether it be Auckland, Whanganui, or further down Yeah.
0: We do develop very good long-term relationships with the families and their extended families, and... Um, It's one of the privileges of being a public health nurse is that you are alongside of a family with their child for this journey. (coughs) And it can take up to the age of 21 for them, or 10 years perhaps, whatever may come soonest. The
7: kids, they do um, absolutely trust you. Um, have faith that what you're doing you're not going you're not doing it on purpose or to hurt them in any way shape or form but they are amazing children they're absolutely amazing children and I say this to them as well that they have to endure this for 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 14 years or till they're 21 you know it's quite amazing um feat that they have to do in their young lives right up to their teenage years yeah Yeah. it's amazing they're awesome children awesome children
4: Fifty years ago, rheumatic fever was a disease that affected Māori and Europeans in New Zealand. Hospital wards were full of young patients on bed rest, sometimes for up to a year. Many died despite the advent of antibiotics. But these days it's rare to find a European child with rheumatic fever. It's now almost exclusively a disease of Māori and Pacific Island people. Some research has suggested that Polynesian people may be more genetically vulnerable to the disease. Others make the point that the Streptococcus bug itself is notoriously infectious, and once it's got its hooks into a community or a social grouping, it's not easy to get rid of. Dr. Nigel Wilson from Auckland Starship Hospital is the pediatric cardiologist and researcher leading the echo scanning projects.
5: The streptococcus is very infectious and it goes around. For example, you know, in the 1920s in Australia, all the children in the hospital mainly had rheumatic fever, white children. We're not seeing it in Pakiha now, but we're seeing it's, the streptococcus seems to be affecting Māori and Pacific people, and you know the Pacific rates are higher than Māori rates, both in acute rheumatic fever and where we can count the rheumatic heart disease like we can with echo scanning. So we don't know why that is, but it, it's, it's real.
4: Roger Tuck says a GP in Remuera or other middle-class suburbs might never see a case of rheumatic fever. The strep A strain that causes it is simply not present in the community. Northland's Medical Officer of Health, Jonathan Jarman, says there's no doubt that living standards are a factor in the discrepancy between Māori and Pākehā
1: rates of the disease. Things like housing, education, employment, um, nutrition, those sorts of things. And a research paper has just recently come out and it's highlighted that a key determinant for rheumatic fever is crowding. In fact, it's more important than poverty. It's actually crowding, so it's the number of people that live in a house. This isn't actually a new finding, because it's been known for 50 years, that that children or people that live in crowded places, such as army barracks, are more at risk from group A strep, sore throats and rheumatic fever. There was research done after the war that actually quite clearly showed the link between crowding, how close soldiers' beds were to each other and outbreaks of things like group A strep pharyngitis, group A strep sore throats. Another thing which is likely to be an important factor is that effective antibiotics have been developed in the last 50, 60 years and that um, European people have had more access to antibiotics. Māori have had less access and we know that they're less likely to go to the doctor because of the cost.
4: Dr Jarman says even health policy can have unintended consequences for Māori. He says rheumatic fever is one of the few chronic diseases that's preventable. A course of penicillin for a strep throat will stop the illness developing. But for some time, the government's drug-buying agency, Pharmac, has been encouraging GPs not to prescribe antibiotics for sore throats because most are caused by viruses. At the same time, Northland Health's been encouraging Māori parents to take sore throats seriously and go to the doctor.
1: This is not an uncommon problem. We have whanau in Northland that have heard our message, sore throats matter. They go to the doctor and say, my child has a sore throat, could you please do a throat swab? And the doctor sometimes says, we don't need to do a throat swab, Um, and antibiotics are not recommended because it will just increase antibiotic resistance. It's more likely to happen with doctors who are trained overseas because they come from countries um, such as United Kingdom, and rheumatic fever is not common in the United Kingdom. And they come to New Zealand and they apply the evidence-based approach that's relevant to the UK, but it's not relevant to us in Northland because we have very high levels of acute rheumatic fever.
4: The cost of going to the doctor is often quoted as a factor in high rates of the disease in the north, but that was never the case in one of the worst affected communities. Whangaroa had one of the highest rates of rheumatic fever in Northland, despite the fact that it was a special medical area where GP visits are free. It's also the only community where the disease has been eradicated. Helen Herbert, whose assertiveness ensured her son was correctly diagnosed, galvanised local people into action,
0: when the project finally launched out which was in 2002, two community workers which was myself and another lady were employed to go into the six schools, we had six schools, and three times a week we would go in on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday going through all the schools and all the children asking them if they had a sore throat. If they had a sore throat, they would be taken into the sick bay where they would be swabbed, and we'd do all the documentation there. We'd get back, take the swaps back to the hospital. They would be sent off down to pathology in Whangarei. Three days later, we would have a return on that. And if the child had a positive Strep A, then we would notify the child, as well as send a letter home for that child. And four days later, we would ring up the family, make contact with the family, to just ask how they were getting on with the antibiotics and make sure the children were doing what they were supposed to be doing with the medication. And then 10 days later again we would check to see how the children were and re-swab them to make sure everything was well.
4: The throat swabbing strategy coupled with an intensive information blitz worked. From two weeks after the project started in 2002 until this day there hasn't been a single case of rheumatic fever in Whangaroa but when Northland Health tried to roll the project out to another town, Kaikohi, it failed. Dr Jarman says it may be because Kaikohe has a high number of transient families or because there wasn't the same unified community involvement that there was in Whangaroa.
1: So what can we do about this? We can either say this is too tough, we can't do anything, but I don't believe that is a realistic answer. We have to do something. This is such an inequality.
4: Kaitaia GP Lance O'Sullivan agrees. He says he sees too many teenagers and young mothers who come to his surgery complaining they feel tired and find out for the first time they have serious heart damage from a disease they never knew they'd had. Dr O'Sullivan says rheumatic fever has had a low profile for far too long.
2: The reasons I suspect this hasn't had greater attention is, you know, Māori typically uh, aren't loud voice in terms of Voting until recently, until the advent of the Māori Party, and we haven't had great political uh, influence. And children uh, are typically a very underserved section of society. You ask any paediatrician that, and they'll agree with that. Is that you know children are also underserved across the board, and you add in Māori children even more so, because children, yeah, they don't vote and they uh, they quietly suffer with a a lot of conditions that a lot of paediatricians would. Which is say it's a disgrace. So it's we get a double whammy. You know we've got children and Maori children to boot. Um, this condition affects, so it doesn't feature high on politicians' radar, and it should do. It should do because it it is a third world country existing in New Zealand, and it should do because it affects our workers, our mums and dads for tomorrow.
4: Hari Tewehi works for Northland Health in Kaitaia as a cultural educator for the mental health service. He says rheumatic fever is taking a terrible toll on the Māori community, killing people in what should be their prime. And in four recent cases, people who were needed to lead their marae and provide financial and cultural stability.
2: Recently, we've had, I think, four deaths within this far north area related to rheumatic fever. Two of those people didn't know that their condition was caused by something that happened way back when they were young. They died at the age of, of between 38 and 45. So that was four men who passed away recently. The loss to their note, their children, their wife, to all those connected with them is huge.
4: In the last five years, the invention of portable echo scanners has changed the face of diagnosing rheumatic heart disease. In the past, it's been a rather hit-or-miss affair, dependent on factors like unusually well-informed and alert parents, the presence of acute symptoms, or a GP with a good ear for a heart murmur. But it's now possible to take laptop-sized machines out into the field and do mass screenings in high-risk areas like Kaitaia, South Auckland... Gisborne and the Bay of Plenty and for the last few years that's what cardiologists at Starship Hospital have been doing. Dr Nigel Wilson the cardiologist leading the project has two of the portable machines funded by the Starship Foundation.
5: It's only in recent years that we've got the technology with portable echo so portable echo is the size of a laptop so very small very portable but they've only come around in the past few years. There's always been hospital-based large echocardiogram machines and, and it wouldn't be practical to use those. They're very expensive and they're being used full-time in the hospitals. So we've now got these portable echo, we've got the technology and we have now we're finding that we're picking up 5 to 10 times more undetected rheumatic heart disease if you use portable echo compared to just listening with a stethoscope.
4: For parents in Kaitaia, the question now is what happens to the next cohort of 8-year-olds coming through the system? And what about children in other high-risk parts of Northland and the rest of the country who may have undiagnosed heart damage but haven't been fortunate enough to be part of the research project? Shouldn't they all be screened? Dr Nigel Wilson says at this stage the answer to that is no. He says there are clinical and ethical issues to be sorted out first. The echo scanning found seven kaitaya children with unmistakable signs of rheumatic heart damage who are now on penicillin, but it also found 13 with valve changes that may or may not have been caused by the disease. Dr Wilson says cardiologists need to know what those changes indicate and how to deal with that group.
5: We just have to be cautious at the lower end, so certainly the test could be rolled out now in terms of we would find more children out there that are going to end up with more severe heart problems as adults but we've also got to be able to counsel the ones with the minor changes so for the ones with the minor changes we're currently following them but in a couple of years we'll have enough information from the ones we've followed plus from other countries to probably make a better judgment as to whether or not those children should go on to treatment which consists of penicillin.
4: Auckland University's Professor Diana Lennon, a leading authority on rheumatic fever in New Zealand, says prevention of the disease rather than mass echo screening should be paramount if choices must be made. The rheumatic fever steering group, of which she's part, has recommended the government set up sore throat clinics in schools in high-risk areas to test for Strep A and treat it.
6: The echocardiogram is definitely a very important modern tool to fine tune what we 're doing once the kid has established heart disease there 's no doubt about that, and it really helps us in the diagnosis of a kid who turns up to hospital with the sore joints and perhaps the heart murmur or even not the heart murmur but later on, the screening process is actually then about picking up these kids who 've never had sore throats treated so it is important as well it 's got to be the package in the end but I think we've got a more clear-cut process of sore throats, whereas the echocardiographic process is evolving.
4: The Associate Minister of Health, Tariana Turia, who lost an 11-year-old cousin to rheumatic fever, says the Ministry of Health is now considering prevention measures to begin next year. Mrs Turia says she would personally favour mass echocardiogram screenings in communities where the disease is rife. That's something that the Ministry needs to give some consideration to because
7: we do know that there are some children who have developed heart disease that hasn't been picked up until later on, those children would be subjected to quite serious harm, for instance, if they had an anaesthetic uh, to have teeth done. So we we do know that these things need to be looked at. And what I'm hoping that will come out from the Ministry looking into those areas where there is a prevalence, that they'll come out with a package of opportunities to assist us in uh, looking at this
4: significant issue. There are no details yet about exactly when sore throat clinics or a screening programme will be rolled out next year, nor what they'd cost. But with personal experience herself of the toll rheumatic fever can take, Taliana Tullia is urging health professionals, and Māori and Pacific Island parents in particular, to recognise that a sore throat can have serious and lifelong consequences for children. <laughs>
0: That insight was written and presented by Lois Williams. Technical production was by Andrew Dalzell and it was produced by
4: Sue Ingram.